Evil. Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday stream at Flat Creek Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you've joined us today, whether you're watching online or you are joining us on Glory FM 97.5. We are grateful for you being here today, and we look forward to worshiping alongside of you this morning. God bless you, and enjoy the stream. Good morning. It is good to see you today, Flat Creek. And what a wonderful, wonderful way to start our service today with the ordinance of baptism. As a matter of fact, I can't think of a better way to start our service than to celebrate lives being changed. Amen? Amen. Today we have four young men that are coming to be baptized this morning. Uh, so I want y'all to give a big hand today for the first young man, Mr. Will Wagner. Y'all give him a big hand as he comes. Yeah, we are so thankful for Will and his commitment to being here today to be baptized. And uh, Will has been a family friend of ours since we moved to Gainesville about four years ago and had the opportunity a few months ago uh, to go and play a, a golf tournament with Will and ended up on the, the same golf cart as him. And Will began to share his story. Uh, you guys may not know this, but if you ever hear Will's story, when he was just a little boy, uh, Will was actually diagnosed with brain cancer and survived that. And I told him that day on the golf cart, I said, man, you survived that because God has a plan for your life. And after he and I talked for a long time that afternoon, after the 18th hole, sitting right outside of the country club clubhouse, will pray to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he is today to be baptized. So, Will, have you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. Then it's my pleasure to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Up next, we have Andrew. Y'all give Andrew a big hand today as he comes. He said he's cold and he feels like he's floating. <laughs> uh, Andrew and his family have been coming to Flat Creek now for uh, some time. As a matter of fact, you might remember uh, that he had a sibling that was dedicated on Christmas Eve, I believe it was. Isn't that right, Mama? Uh, and, and so Andrew, just after that, in Children's Church one day, uh, gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You might remember he came in the room at the end of the 11 o'clock service to walk the aisle in invitation. And so it's a joy to be here today with you, Andrew. Have you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, sir. Then it's my pleasure to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. turned around and looked at his friends and said, I did it. I did it. <laughs> Up next, we have Frankie. Frankie, you come on down. Y'all give Frankie a big hand today. 
Frankie's another one of our children from Children's Church and Awanas. Uh, and this is a great blessing. I'm going to go ahead and call his brother Abel down too. Abel, you come on down here. Y'all standing here together. And here's Abel. And I'm going to see, is, is their brother Tobias in the, in the auditorium right now? Tobias, you stand up right there. Uh, Y'all see Tobias right here. This is their older brother. And Tobias, a few months ago, gave his heart and life to Jesus during the football season. He was one of the football players from West Hall who gave his life to Christ. And just after that, he said, can I start bringing my brothers on Wednesday night? And I said, absolutely. And these two guys have been faithful to Awanas. Tobias has been faithful to get them here every Sunday morning. And over the last couple of weeks, both of these young men have given their heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to baptize them one at a time. Frankie. Have you given your life to Jesus? Yes, sir. Then it's my pleasure to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And now this is Abel. And Abel, have you given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, sir. Then it's my pleasure to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every one of those little guys, their teeth were just a chat, uh, chattering up here. They are saying, hurry it up, Pastor. Come on. Uh, listen, let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Father, what a joy to be able to open a service with the ordinance of baptism. As I told them in the back, baptism is unique to Christianity. Uh, it is a, an outward symbol of an inward change. It's identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ, with his death and his resurrection. And what a joy it is, God, to stand in these waters today to signify the fact that you are still changing lives. The gospel still has the power to save. And we rejoice in these four young men who have given their life to you. We look forward to next Sunday when we're going to baptize again. We have a few more. And we look forward to getting back in these waters at that time. And maybe there would be even somebody now under the sound of my voice that's never given their life to Christ. And today they would say, you know what? I need to get in those waters. I need to be baptized. I need to be saved. And maybe today would be the day of life change for them. God, in all things, we give you the glory. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Caleb. Well, welcome to Flat Creek Baptist Church. How about that to kick off our service? Look, we have a tradition, as Pastor Zach says, we like to, we like to at least pretend we're one big happy family. How about that? So I what I want you to do, I want you to stand up, find somebody you don't know, and say, welcome to church. I'm ready to worship with you this morning.
Thank you so much. You may be seated.
Well, I hope that's your testimony this morning. Uh, if not, oh, thank you. I didn't ask him to do that. Good friends. Listen, uh, before we move on, it's, it's your opportunity to sing again. Your turn to be in the big choir, all right? We're going to sing this song, All Creatures of Our God and King. Today's message is to remind us of holiness, remind us of the forgotten gospel, what it is to just find yourself humbled before the Lord. And today, I think the challenge is going to be issued to you. You can humble yourself before the Lord, or God will do it for you one day. I would encourage you to consider the first option. The Bible says that even the rocks will cry out. The Bible says that God has intertwined his divine being into all creation so that no one has an excuse. I told the New Believers Sunday School class last week, I don't like the idea of a rock having to sing for me. A rock is inanimate, has no life in it. But if it's going to cry out, I think I could also choose to worship God, the Savior of my life and the rest of the world as well. Y'all stand and let's sing this hymn together, All Creatures of Our God and King.
Aren't you looking forward to that day when we fall on bending knee? We see him face to face. Listen, I think in heaven we, we all like to we all like to pontificate. There's a word for you, Pastor. Pontificate on what heaven's actually gonna be like. What are we gonna say? What are we gonna sing? I know one thing is gonna be there, and that's Jesus. I know we're gonna be there with him if you've made that decision to commit your life to him. But I think we're just going to be crying out the name of Jesus for eternity. I think we're going to be singing holy, holy, holy. I think we're going to find ourselves just in that posture of constant praise. I love my mansion that he's building for me, but I want to be with him. That's going to be a good day, isn't it? Y'all sing as Brianna leads us in what a beautiful name. We cry out the name of Jesus for eternity.
time of worship we've had today at this time children ages kindergarten through fifth grade you can be dismissed to behind the piano flat creek i want you to know i love you and i stand up here on the front row every sunday and and bye thank you <laughs> my perspective my perspective is a little bit different than those on the stage because those on the stage, they're, they're looking at you and they see you worshiping. Uh, with my vantage point, I hear you worshiping. And, and so I, I, never, I intentionally never turn around and look. I just listen. And every Sunday I hear you singing and praising the Lord. And, and it, it's just the greatest blessing. I want you to know I love you. I look forward to heaven, you know. One of, my, one of my great friends is a missionary up in Alaska. His name is Joe Marin. And some of these youth and adults who have been to Alaska with us know Joe. And, and, and every time we leave Alaska to come back to Georgia, Joe always says the, this to me right before we leave, right before we get on the airplane, he always says, man, if I never see you again, just remember this one thing. We get to spend eternity together. And isn't that the great joy? I mean, we get to spend eternity together. How awesome is that? Amen. You and me, together forever in eternity with the Lord Jesus. And what a great joy that is. We're going to talk a little bit about that today as we come to the end of the text. And so I want you to go to Romans chapter number 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 9 through 13. We're, we're beginning to get in some really deep water here. As you turn your Bibles, I'll just tell you a quick story that I heard this week about an atheist who began to complain to his Christian friend. He said, you Christians, you know, you have special holidays such as Easter and Christmas. And Jews, they have their national holidays such as Passover and Yom Kippur. But we atheists, we have no recognized national holidays. It's unfair and it's discriminatory, to which his Christian friend replied, well, you could always claim April the 1st. <laughs> Now, that was funny. Now, y'all should laugh at that. <laughs> I told that to Summer yesterday. She said, don't use that. That is, that is not okay. Oh, man. Well, some of y'all will catch up with that later. But Romans chapter 8, verse 9 through 13 is where we're going to be today. And as we approach the selected text this morning, I want us to be reminded briefly of the ground that we have covered over the last two weeks especially. Uh, because what we're doing now in this book of Romans, in Romans chapter 8, is we're really picking up into this one continual train of thought from the pen of the Apostle Paul. There's this beautiful tapestry, if you will, that he is weaving together. And if just one thread is misplaced, then the entire design is going to be flawed. So we got to remember where we've been in order to know where we're going. And so we began two weeks ago walking through Romans chapter 8. And I told you at the time that I believe that Romans chapter 8 is the most important chapter in the entire Bible. 
Romans chapter 8 tells us more about the spirit-filled life of the believer than any other chapter in the entire scripture. And as we began this journey, I told you then, and we began and looked at what I consider to be the most glorious verse of Scripture in the entire Bible because it tells us more about the effect of the gospel in the life of the believer than any other verse, and that verse being Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those of us who were in Christ Jesus. Now, it's really, honestly, if you were to read this as one letter, as the original audience would have read it, that statement, no condemnation, is actually a shocking statement from Paul, considering that he spent the first seven chapters telling us that we are condemned and guilty apart from Christ. And that's his main emphasis here, that is, in Christ, the penalty has been paid, and now there is no condemnation for those of us who believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The verdict against you has forever been changed. You've gone from guilty to not guilty in his courtroom. You might remember Romans chapter 8, verse 2 through 4, as Paul gives us the reason that's true. He says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Amen? He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And now across chapter number 8, what the Apostle Paul is going to do is he's going to teach us of the rich blessings which are ours who were in Christ Jesus. He's going to teach us of what the Holy Spirit accomplishes on our behalf. The first 27 verses of Romans chapter number 8 feature the works of the Holy Spirit. He frees us from sin and death. He enables us to fulfill the law of God. He changes our nature. He empowers us for victory over sin. He confirms our adoption. He guarantees our glory, and he intercedes for us. And after 27 verses, 28 through 39, Paul erupts in this doxology of praise as he reflects on this marvelous life that we now have in the Holy Spirit. So two weeks ago, we looked at Romans 8, 1, and we just barely began to, to dip our toes into these waters. But you will remember from last week, before Paul can elaborate on these blessings of the Holy Spirit, he wants to make sure that you are in Christ. And so he takes this evangelistic pause in order for you to take a moment to look within to determine if you really are saved. He distinguishes between two groups of people, the lost and the saved. And he teaches us that the easiest way to determine if you are lost or saved is to answer this one question, where is your mind? He goes on right there in chapter 8, verse number 5, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. 
For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul says this is the easiest way to examine and determine if you are indeed in Christ. Where is your mind? Now, there's a right way and there's a wrong way to apply this truth. The wrong way to apply this truth is to think of everybody else. And to begin to look around the room and try to determine in your heart who it is that has a fleshly mind. To look around and say, well, I know who the pastor's talking about. He's talking about that guy or that girl over there. Or the pastor's talking about so-and-so. Some of you may have walked out of the room last week and you might have started thinking to yourself of everybody else who claims to be a Christian, but their mindset is on the flesh and they live like the world, and you might have thought to yourself, you know, that person really needs to hear that message. So the first thing you did when you got home was shoot them a text message and say, go to the Flat Creek YouTube channel. You need to listen to that. That's for you, my friend. That's the wrong way to hear the Word of God. Although it does reveal the true intention of the heart, and although hopefully it would lead you to respond by sharing the gospel with those folks, you must first hear the Word of God and look at how it applies to your own life. That's the right way to view the text. Hopefully, you walked out of the door last week, and as the week has progressed, you have examined where your own mind is at. You see, remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, why do you point out the speck in your brother's eye? We have a beam sticking out of your own. He says, first, remove the beam from your own eye. Then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Friends, we're always so quick to look at everybody else and say, well, that applies to them when, first of all, we should look within to see if we are in Christ. You might think of the words of Charles Spurgeon who once said, beware of presuming that you are saved. If your heart is renewed, if you hate the things you once loved and love the things you once hated, if you have really repented, if there is a thorough change of mind within you, then you have reason to rejoice. But if there is no vital change, if there is no inward godliness, if there is no love for God, if there is no power and no work of the Holy Spirit, then the statement, I am saved, is only your own assertion, and it may delude you, but it will not deliver you. Right. Friends, what we're searching for today is deliverance deliverance. And this is where we must pause for a moment and ask what should be considered a really elementary question. But I want to pose it to you today. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be saved? You see, friends, we've got to get this answer right if we're going to understand the riches of everything that Paul is about to teach us in Romans chapter 8. It seems so basic, but a fundamental misunderstanding of the answer to this question will lead to a misappropriation of the gospel, and it will lead you, leave you lost. Maybe a better way to ask the question is this. When a person is saved, 
What is that person saved from? Now, I would venture to say that probably 90 to 95% of you answered the question like this. When a person is saved by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are saved from hell. And the good news is, if you answered the question that way, you are not wrong. But you're only partially right. You must remember that hell is a consequence. So to tell someone that the good news of the gospel is simply you won't go to hell when you die is to simply sell them fire insurance. Friends, hell, this idea of you won't go to hell when you die is only giving them the end result of salvation and not actually telling them of their need for salvation. You see, hell is only the, is the awful reality of an eternity separated from God. It's the most severe continuation of your most current position apart from Christ. Much worse, however, because in hell, there's no ability to repent, which you have the ability to do now. So hear me. You see, when we think about that word repentance, it clues us in on why we need to be saved or what we're saved from. When a person is saved, they are saved from sin. Let us never forget that. We live in a church culture which relegates this topic to the preaching of antiquity and says that it's not relevant for the modern hearer. Instead of calling sin by name and pleading with sinners to repent, there are many preachers today who instead focus on topics the hearer can relate to and then say the gospel is coming to Christ in order to improve your current condition. Friends, the gospel never guarantees you health. And the gospel never guarantees you wealth. And the gospel never guarantees you happiness. It's a popular message and it draws a great crowd. And there are many people that are sitting under that type of preaching who are genuine in their beliefs, but they are genuinely wrong. The gospel is not come to God and get stuff. The gospel message is come to God and get God. That's it. Sin has separated you from your creator. And the gospel message is the message of reconciliation, which says through the vicarious death of the Lord Jesus Christ, you who were separated from God because of sin can now be in a real living relationship with him. We are saved. From the penalty of sin, we are saved from the power of sin, and one day we will ultimately be saved from the presence of sin. Friends, the gospel literally saves you from yourself. Amen. Left to your own propensity, left to your own desires, what does Paul say there in Romans 6, 8? You who were fleshly cannot please God. We will always go the way of the world. And because of that, you and I need a Savior. We need a Savior to save us from our sins and glory to God. That Savior has come. Amen. Just jump back with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse number 6. Beautiful words of the Apostle Paul. He says, therefore, while we were still helpless... 
At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And what has he proven across the first five chapters? That's us. We're the ungodly. At the appointed time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for us. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. But listen, God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that good news? Amen. Yes. But we often stop right there. Listen to verse number 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. We who have come to Christ have now been reconciled. Reconciled because we have been justified. And in case you forget what justification is, it's that one-time declaration of God whereby he pronounces us not guilty and imputes to us the righteousness of Christ. We have been justified. We have been regenerated. This is the transformation you experience at conversion. The old man dies. The new man comes to life. Best explained by the words of the Lord Jesus Christ who said, you must be born again. We've also been adopted. Therefore, the inheritance belonging to Christ is now ours. We are being sanctified. This is the Holy Spirit's current work in the life of the believer whereby he purifies us from sin and conforms us into the image of Christ. Believer, this is your standing before God. Never forget it. You need to write this down and keep it in your mind when the enemy comes against you and whispers lies in your ear. You are a justified, regenerated saint and son of God. And this is why Paul can say, therefore there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Now why do I tell you all these things? I tell you these things for one reason. Friends, this is the forgotten gospel. It is the gospel, but it is no longer the gospel which is preached in the mainstream. You see, to preach the true gospel often drives the seeker away in the nominal home. To preach the true gospel enrages the Pharisee and it provokes the lost. To preach the true gospel alerts the forces of hell and brings the enemy to our front doorstep. I want you to understand, Flat Creek, the commitment that you and I have made together to walk through books of the Bible verse by verse. The enemy hates it. And the enemy hates us with a passion, for he hates the Word of God because the Word of God exposes him for who he truly is. Amen. The Word of God tells you how to, you can come out of chains and out of bondage to live a life pleasing to God. And what is a life which is pleasing to God? It is the life that is yielded wholly to the Lord Jesus Christ and the life which is lived in pursuit of holiness. This is forgotten. A.W. Tozer 
once wrote an article entitled The Old Cross Versus the New. I've read some of this before to you a few years ago in a message in a series we went through about the cross, but I want you to listen to what he says. He says, the new cross which is preached today does not slay the sinner. It redirects him. It gears him into a cleaner and jollier way of living and saves his self-respect. The new cross says to the self-assertive, come and assert yourself for Christ. The new cross says to the egotist, come and do your boasting in the Lord. The new cross says to the thrill seeker, come and enjoy the thrill of Christian fellowship. The Christian message is slanted in the direction of the current vogue in order to make it acceptable to the public. The philosophy of this kind of thinking may be sincere, but its sincerity does not save it from being false. It is false because it is blind, and it misses completely the whole meaning of the cross. He went on to say the old cross is a symbol of death. It stands for the abrupt violent end of a human being. The man in Roman times who took up his cross and started down the road had already said goodbye to his friends. He was not coming back. He was going out to have his life ended. The cross made no compromise. It modified nothing. It spared nothing. It slew all of the man completely and for good. It did not try to keep on good terms with its victims. It struck cruel and it struck hard. And when the cross had finished its work, the man was no more. Friends, A.W. Tozer said those words. He's been dead since 1963. Those words are 61 years old at least. How much truer in our day are those words? Let me remind you that Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, they must deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow me. In other words, the old nature, the old man must die. And it's only then through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit that the new man can come to life. This, beloved, is what's becoming to come in focus now in Romans, that you and I are called to live a life of holiness. If my hypothesis is right, that the gospel of Paul is forgotten, then the call of holiness has also been relegated to the shelf and is collecting dust to the delight of Satan. If I can just share a personal testimony here for, with you for a second, I don't know about you, but ever since we started walking through the doctrine of justification in Romans chapter number 6, the, the enemy's attacks have been consistent and persistent. The enemy has not stopped. And what I have found preaching through these chapters of the Bible is this. Sin does not like to be exposed. The moment that we begin to uncover sin, he launches a war. He is content to be undetected. This war that is launched and is ferocious in nature, a war that Paul highlighted for us in Romans chapter number 7. You remember it. Paul says, I know what's right, but I'm always doing what's wrong. And even though I know it's wrong, I'm still doing those things that are wrong. I want to do what's right, but I have no ability to do it because sin is present with me. And he concludes with those famous words, Oh, wretched man that I am. 
Who will deliver me from the body of this death? Paul had but one desire when he said those words, who will deliver me? His desire should be our desire to not only be saved from sin, but to be delivered from sin, to be holy as he himself is holy. Friends, this is commanded of us across the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 7.1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all men and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 through 16, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be yourselves also holy in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. Friends, every one of those texts, and there's so many more, we could jump into the Old Testament and look at Leviticus and look at Isaiah. All of those texts are a summons to holiness. But here's the question. Is holiness actually possible? Can you actually live a life of holiness? And in short, the answer to that question is apart from Christ, no. But in Christ, absolutely. Will we ever be perfect? No, not on this side. But in Christ, we can live a life totally surrendered, separated unto God, and pursuing holiness which should be our desire. Romans chapter 12, you might jump ahead for just a moment. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Listen to what he says. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect. Friends, this is what is charged of us, to present ourselves to God as a living and holy sacrifice. How is that possible? Well, thankfully, God hasn't left us without the means to actually accomplish it. God has actually given us the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there's no person inside the Godhead who is more misunderstood than him. Let me remind you of what Jesus said the work of the Holy Spirit is. John chapter 16, verse 7 through 11. He said, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. But friends, this is not the message that we hear spoken of the Holy Spirit today. In fact, 
most believers do not understand him and some even fear him because of false manifestations of the Holy Spirit seen in charismatic circles today. Would you listen to what John MacArthur once famously said? He said, if you just look at the evangelical world and take a big bite into contemporary evangelicism in order to get a taste of the Holy Spirit, you would probably walk away with an untrue view. You would conclude that the work of the Holy Spirit was to make people happy, even giddy, or even lying on the floor laughing. Or that the work of the Holy Spirit is to knock people out, to have them fall over backwards. Or that the work of the Holy Spirit was at least to make people emotionally out of control, to make them speak some sort of gibberish or to get healed. Or that the work of the Holy Spirit was to write praise music produced by secular conglomerate whose mission is to take your money. He said every institution in evangelicism, whether it's a product or an event, is now called a moving of the Holy Spirit. But what if Jesus just saying, what is Paul teaching us in Romans? The Holy Spirit's work in the believer is to sanctify us. His work, his work is to conform us to the image of Christ, to empower us for the proclamation of the gospel, and to make us fit for heaven. You know, perhaps one of the most biblically accurate songs that we sing in the church is not sung on the main stage anymore. It's only sung in children's church. But it speaks of the Holy Spirit's work under sanctification. You might remember this song, He's Still Working on Me, to make me what I need to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and precious he must be. He's still working on me. But have you ever thought about the two verses of that song? The writer said, there really ought to be a sign upon my heart. Don't judge him just yet. There's an unfinished part. But I'll be better just according to his plan, fashioned by the master's loving hands. In the mirror of his word, reflections that I see makes me wonder why he never gave up on me. But he loves me as I am and helps me when I pray. Remember, he's the potter and I'm the clay. He's still working on me. Amen. Friends, the text before us, Romans 8, 9 through 13, tells us of a few things the Holy Spirit is doing in us now. And I want to run over them briefly with you and then give you a response at the end. Number one, the Holy Spirit transforms us. The Holy Spirit transforms us. Verse 6 through 8, we heard of the fleshly mind. But now in verse 9, he says, However, you were not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If anyone is in Christ Jesus, he's a what? A new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Verse 6 and 7, we find that our old fleshly way of thinking was hostile to God. It did not subject itself to the law of God, nor was it able to do so. But now, as Paul is saying, but that is not you. Now your mind is on spiritual things. John 15, 26, Jesus said, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father 
He will testify about me. Friends, the Holy Spirit's work in changing your mindset is simply amazing. It's supernatural. He takes a fleshly mind, a mind that thinks of only carnal things and worldly things, and through his work, transform the mind to think of things pertaining to the Spirit. And what are the things of the Spirit? They're gospel things, things pertaining to Christ. What did Paul say, Romans 12, 2? Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. The mindset of the flesh is flesh. The mindset of the spirit is spirit. Friends, the moment you were saved, you received a heart change. Instant, justified. That's the moment you're saved. But let me remind you, at whatever time you were saved, you had years and years of what we say in addiction circles, stinking thinking. That was your mind. And your mind has to be renewed. Your mind has to be transformed in order for you to think of gospel things. This is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit whereby he transforms the mind. There was a time in my life when I woke up every day, the only thing in my mind was sin. It consumed every thought I had. Lying, cursing, stealing, sexual immorality, drunkenness, you name it. That's what my mind thought about. But here I stand 14 years later. I don't think about that junk anymore. Amen. The only time I think about it now is when I'm testifying of God's work in me and how he freed me from those things. The Holy Spirit totally transforms your thought process because the Holy Spirit is always directing you to Christ. This is what he's doing in you. He has transformed you and is currently sanctifying you, currently renewing your mind to think of the things of God. Not only does he transform us, but number two, he makes his home with us. What does it say there? Verse 9, Romans 8, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Does the Holy Spirit dwell in you? That's a great question. You can determine that by what your mind is thinking. That's what Paul told us last week. But listen to what Jesus said in John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will follow my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. This is an amazing concept to think about because just a few verses before that, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may also be also. Jesus says, I've gone to prepare a dwelling place for you. That's future. But on this side, he dwells in us. What a difference it would make if we would live with the reminder of the Apostle Paul from the book of Colossians who says this is the mystery which has been hidden for ages and now made known to the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Friends, the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit makes his home with you. How can you not be different than you were before 
if the Holy Spirit of God now dwells in your heart. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, here's the call to holiness, glorify God in your body. Remember in the Old Testament, there was the tabernacle, there was the temple. And in both, there was a veil, and beyond that veil was what was known as the Holy of Holies. And it's where the presence of God dwelt. And you couldn't just go in there anytime you wanted. If you walked in that veil, you would die immediately because your unholiness was confronted with his holiness. Only one man once a year could go in, and only he could go in with the blood of the atonement applied to his life. You couldn't just go and be in the presence of God anytime you wanted to. So in the Old Testament, you have God who is unapproachable, except without atonement once a year. But in the New Testament, that same Holy Spirit that was once unapproachable doesn't dwell behind the veil any longer. Instead, through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, he now actually approaches us. He testifies of Christ. And when we put our faith and trust in him, he moves in. Amen. He makes his home with us. He fills us with himself. The spirit of the living God literally lives inside the believer. What a difference the Holy Spirit will make. He transforms us. He makes his home with us. Number three, he guarantees us eternal life. What does it say there? However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Verse 10, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now, friends, this is getting into some rich stuff here. Just remember that qualifying question that we talked about from Romans chapter number 7. Who will rescue me from the body of this death? Paul was keenly aware that his fleshly body was mortal. Just by virtue of being born a son of Adam, Paul knew his carnal body would one day die. We all know the same thing. And the question everybody always asks is this, is there hope beyond the grave? Well, according to Paul, there is. If Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, this is your mortal body. It's under the bondage of death. The spirit is alive because of righteousness. And you'll notice in your Bible that the word spirit there is in the lower case. There's a difference there. Paul's not speaking of the Holy Spirit in general. Instead, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit's work in salvation. Understand what the Spirit of God does when he saves you. He quickens your dead spirit to new life. You who were dead in trespasses and sins, the book of Ephesians says, have been made alive together with Christ. And notice it says, 
because of righteousness. This is the same righteousness Paul spoke of in Romans 3, 4, and 5 when he said through the finished work of Christ Jesus, you've been given a righteousness not your own. What Paul is saying here is through the completed work of Christ, you have been made alive. Your body may die, but the spirit has been made alive, and therefore your spirit will live on. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory, the seal of the Holy Spirit. In Old Testament times and New Testament times, when a king would put his seal upon something, it was a seal that could not be broken. It could not be revoked. And so when the Holy Spirit sets his seal upon you, who dares try to take your salvation away? They can't. The imprint of the Holy Spirit is now upon your heart. And you are guaranteed that although your flesh may die, your spirit will live on. Which leads us to this fourth truth. The Holy Spirit is the acting agent in our future resurrection. What does he say? Verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. Friends, this body that you're looking at today will one day pass away. Do you know why this body will pass away? It's because it is made out of flesh and it is sold into the bondage of sin. Ever wonder why we cling to this old sinful body? I mean, wouldn't it be much better just to go and be with Christ? Why do we cling to this old, dead, dying body that's not fit for heaven, nor can it be? Remember, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Death is God's just penalty, but for the believer, death is a merciful act. You remember that on the day Adam and Eve sinned, God put a cherubim to guard the entrance of the Garden of Eden. What? Lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. What God said there is if they were to eat from the tree of life now, they would be in sin forever and never be able to re be released from this bondage of this flesh. But glory be unto God for the mercy of God that one day this mortal body will be relieved from sin. And this mortal body will be planted as a seed in the ground. And just as Jesus resurrected from the grave in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, we shall all be changed. Death does not have the final say, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? But praise be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. One day you and I will receive a glorified body fit for heaven. Amen. He transforms us. He makes his home with us. He guarantees us eternal life. He's the acting agent in our future resurrection. Now listen, because here's where we come to this forgotten gospel. 
The Holy Spirit's doing all of this. And the entire book of Romans, and especially Romans 8, is telling us of everything the Holy Spirit is doing in the life of the believer. What is our response? What does he say here? Verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation. The word for obligation in the Greek is the word indebted. Paul says, we are indebted not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Let me ask you a question. What good has your flesh ever done for you? The only thing your flesh has ever done for you is kill you. So why do you continue to live as if you are indebted to the flesh when the spirit of the living God now lives in you and is doing all these things on your behalf. You are not indebted, obligated to the flesh anymore. Paul says, for if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you were putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Our indebtedness, our obligation is now to the Spirit. This is the forgotten gospel. Because we don't preach sin anymore, we also don't call you to holiness. It's no wonder that the number one thing that is said about Christians amongst the lost is they're hypocrites. It's because nobody is telling you anymore that you're obligated to the Spirit if you are indeed a justified, adopted, sanctified son of the Most High God. You're not indebted to the flesh. You're indebted to the Spirit. I, I think of the little boy that was living with his grandma and his house caught on fire. And his grandma, in trying to save his life, Tried to get up the stairs, and she got stuck. She couldn't get to him, and she couldn't get back down, and she died in the fire. And the little boy was upstairs in his room, and the flames were beginning to close in on him, and he started to scream as loud as he could for help. And there was a neighbor that was outside the house, and the neighbor heard the boy's cries. And when he ran to the house, the entire house was consumed with fire, but he could hear the little boy screaming from the window upstairs. So the man, frantically trying to find a way to get into his house, noticed that there was an iron drain pipe coming down the side. But the iron drain pipe was glowing red hot. Despite every intuition inside of him, knowing that that drain pipe was hot and he couldn't physically climb it, he grabbed a hold of it and he shimmied up it. He got inside, he grabbed the child, put the child on his shoulders, and came back down the pipe. Several weeks went by, and a public hearing was held to determine who would have custody of the little boy because all of his family had died. Some of the town's finest people came, a farmer, a teacher, its wealthiest citizen. And they all came to the court and gave the judge the reasons why they should have custody. And as they talked, that little boy's eyes just looked down at the floor. And then suddenly the doors of that courtroom swung open and a stranger walked in. 
And he walked directly to the judge and he took his hands out of his pockets, revealing the burn scars on him. And the crowd gasped and the little boy cried out in recognition. He said, this is the man who saved my life. Those are the hands that climbed the hot pipe for me. And with a leap, the little boy threw his arms around the man's life and he said, I want to live with you. And all the other people in town simply walked away, leaving the boy and his rescuer alone. The marred hands of the man had settled the issue. Friends, today at the right hand of the Father sits the Lord Jesus Christ with nail-scarred hands Amen. who paid the penalty for our sin. And just as this little boy wrapped his arms around that man and said, I want to go home with you, I'm wrapping my arms around the Lord Jesus Christ and saying, because of what you did for me on Calvary's cross, I am forever indebted to you. I want to live with you now. I want to be yours now. I don't want to go back to the old fleshly way. I'm not indebted to that way anymore. I'm indebted to Christ. I'm indebted to the spirit of the living God who dwells within. Is that your desire? See, there are many today that have heard these messages and you're still thinking toward the flesh. But think of all the Holy Spirit has done for you through Christ Jesus. I pray that it is your desire as a believer to live a life of holiness. Friends, if we are going to err, let us always err in holiness. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we come to our time of invitation. We're almost to go home. But we would be remiss if we didn't stop for just a moment and give you the opportunity to come to Christ today. You've been through Sunday school. You saw baptism. You've worshiped. You've heard the word. And maybe you're realizing right now, you know, the reason I'm not living a holy life is I've never given my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have the spirit within. But today, for the very first time, I want to give my life to Christ. I don't want to go the way of the world anymore. I'm indebted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as that little boy saw those hands and said, I want to go home with him. So you're looking today to Christ and you say, I want to live for him. I'm indebted to him. I want to go home and be with him. I want him to make his home with me. If that's you today, friends, and you want to give your life to Christ and be saved, we're going to invite you to make a very bold step of faith. We're going to invite you in just a moment to walk down this aisle, take me by the hand and say, Pastor Zach, I need to be saved. Somebody else in the room, you might be a believer, and you know you're not living a life of holiness, but today you want to rededicate your life to the Lord Jesus. As we sing, and we pray that right there in your pew, you might pray and ask God to receive you. Maybe you come to the altar and ask God to forgive you. But if you need to be saved, I want you to make an intentional step to come take me by the hand. We're going to stand and sing, Brother Caleb, just one verse of this invitation song. Just one verse. If you want to move, you got to move quickly. You come here, take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I want to be saved. As we sing one verse of his love ran red, you come. There's a place where mercy reigns. 
streams of grace flow deep and wide where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood comes flowing down at the cross at the cross I surrender my life I'm in all of you I'm in all of you where your love ran red and my sin washed white I owe all to you I owe all to you, Jesus. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand today. It has been just an amazing day here at Flat Creek from the 830 service all the way through. Listen, let me tell you this. The 830 service is really growing. And if you look around the room, this 11 o'clock service, it continues to grow every week. We look around and always see new folks. And uh, some of you might want to make room for more people to be able to come at 11. Every time we have some of you guys who are members begin to come to 8.30, the 11 just fills right back up with more visitors. And so don't forget that we do have that 8.30 service. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Uh, God does the same thing in there that he does in here. And so we would love for you to consider to be a part of the 8.30 service as well. That's not running you out of 11 because we want you to come at 11, but just want you to know that it is available. If you came today for the first time and you visited with us, please swing by the connections desk between the two double doors on your way out so that we can talk to you about you being here today. We'd love to come beside you in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to give to Flat Creek, you can always give online, flatcreekchurch.net, or you can give on your way out the doors, however God would lead you to give. Thank you guys so much for being here. Brother Caleb is going to pray us out, and this will be your benediction for today. God bless. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had just to gather together with a church family, uh, to lift you up, to magnify you, and exalt you together, Lord, but also to be challenged by our pastor. Lord, I pray we would each uh, find ourselves uh, just trying to humble ourselves before you and repent from anything we have in our life, keeping you from being wholly devoted to you. And Lord, I pray that you would just uh, inspire us to uh, to make sure we find ourselves worshiping you wherever we are, preaching the gospel wherever we go, uh, and just pointing people to you with everything we have. We love you. We thank you for all you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sunday stream here at Flat Creek Baptist Church in Gainesville, Georgia. I am Pastor Zach Williams and it is a great honor to have you join us through our online platform. It is our belief here at Flat Creek Baptist that you should be connected to a local congregation. And so if you are in the Gainesville, Georgia area, we want to encourage you to come out and be a part of what God is doing in our midst. There's nothing like being connected to a local body of believers. However, if you are tuning in today and you are not from the Gainesville, Georgia area and you're tuning in from some other place on earth, what we're gonna encourage you to do is get attached to a local body of believers under good, sound, biblical, doctrinal preaching 
so that you can be encouraged in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and allow Flat Creek Baptist and our Sunday stream to just be a supplement to what God is doing in your life. Friends, I thank you so much once again for joining us. God bless you. And for more information, you can visit our website, flatcreekchurch.net. Your love is so much stronger than whatever troubles me. Sometimes it takes a mountain to trust you and believe. I faced a mountain that I've never faced before. That's why I'm calling on you, Lord. I know been a while, but Lord, please hear my prayer. I need you like I never have before. Sometimes it takes a mountain. Sometimes a troubled sea. Sometimes it takes a desert to get a hold of me. Your love is so much stronger than whatever troubles me. Sometimes it takes a mountain to trust you and believe. Sometimes it takes a mountain to trust you and Sometimes a troubled 
Seven Five Glory FM, your family radio station in North.